Thanks for spending time with Fusion Community Church through our podcast. These can be accessed anytime through iTunes or on our website, fusioncommunity.church. We hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Andrew Fetter. Well, you know, I shared about a week and a half ago at our end of year family uh, town hall meeting, um, just kind of a little bit in in my mind and heart over this last year. Uh, You know, never before uh, had I ever even known of a context whereby a a local church within the Wesleyan denomination would cancel their annual meeting um, because of the the strain of times. And, you know, maybe going back to uh, World War II or, or, or the Spanish flu, maybe there was a time... Where, where that was a regular occurrence, but, but not in my recent memory uh, was I aware of any time that had happened. And so for it to happen over a, such a wide scale, it was, it was an unprecedented, uncertain time. And uh, I shared at our annual meeting this year that I've never felt so kind of insecure about the message God was calling me to give. Um, I really, many weeks, didn't know what next to, to teach on. I was kind of thankful when COVID hit that we were already into a series about slowing down and, and kind of fasting and, you know, at a time when things were slowing down whether we wanted them to or not and options were, were no longer what they once were. And, um, and then right after Easter, we jumped into the book of Acts and, and it wasn't because I kind of got this whisper from God, that's where we should go. It was just the next book after what happened on Easter. And I was like, let's just go into Acts because I don't know where else to go. And part of the reason we spent over 20 weeks in the book of Acts is because I didn't know where else to go and what else to teach on. And it seemed like uh, God was, was kind of speaking to us through the book of Acts and even seeing our current reality in light of what had happened in that first generation, those first three decades of the church. And so uh, today the message is one that literally was written yesterday. Uh, and, and this series wasn't even decided on until kind of Friday evening. And I was just like, I still just don't, I don't know what God wants to say. And so I'm just being kind of honest with you about, you know, my insecurity to try to sense what, what God is saying. And so if you've kind of had this thought throughout COVID that I think Fetter's washed up, he's done. You're right. I am. I, I don't really know where to go next. I'm just trying to follow God. And sometimes I get it and other times I don't. And I'll let you be the judge of, of God speaking to you. Uh, but I was encouraged this morning as I kind of settled on this idea of in uncertain times and came across that video to kind of kick it off. I, I do hope that you focus on those videos before the message and let them kind of feed into what we're going to talk about. Um, but this morning, as we were praying before everybody started to come at 8.30, uh, with the greeting team right outside those double doors, um, the leader of the greeting team just kind of looked around at everybody, and they were having a conversation about what's going on with their life and their week and work and, and, and family and all of that. And, and he just kind of, there was like a pause in the circle, and he just said, you know, there's just so much uncertainty right now. And everybody just kind of collectively like shook their heads like, yeah, yeah, there is. And I spoke up. I was like, uncertainty? He's like, yeah. I was like, man, have you been looking at my notes? Like that's what this next kind of journey we're on in uncertain times. And when we reflect over the last year, it can cause a bunch of different emotions to rise up within us with the memories connected to them. Right? You could think about things over the last year and it might bring a, an emotion of sadness. Maybe there was someone that, that you knew very well that you cared for deeply that you lost this year. Maybe it was related to COVID, maybe something else entirely. The memories of the last year can bring the emotion of gratitude. Uh, many folks that I've been able to talk to in our congregation have rediscovered things they lost they didn't know they lost until all the other options were taken away. And they begin to hear God speak and say, hey, reclaim your family dinner table. Sit down and, and talk about your day together. Uh, some of us might have memories that bring forward emotions that, that make us mad or angry. 
at how things played out this year, decisions that were made you might have disagreed with. We can have memories that, that bring forward emotions of disappointment because maybe you could measure how much your family had to give up or how much your kids lost out on this year, especially during pivotal seasons of their life in, in junior high or high school or graduation or proms. Maybe the memories of the last year can lead you to have the, the emotion of being appreciative just because you've survived it up till now, at least, and you're still here. And maybe many of us are just like, I don't even want to think about those memories. I don't even want to go there. I'm just ready for it to be done. I'm ready to get past it. I'm ready to find it, finally get back to some sense of normalcy, whatever that normal is going to look like. Well, this last year, 2020, will forever be remembered by us as a very uncertain time where whatever we thought we could count on, whatever we thought we could plan for, whatever routines we thought were normal, none of those things were guaranteed anymore. And everything changed along the way. But as a result, all of us changed too. I would bet that you're not the same person today that you were 15 or 18 months ago. Probably not with the same outlet, not with the same perspective you had last year. I know for certain there are articles of clothing you now own that most of us never thought about owning or doing laundry with, those masks, right? So much has changed. And some of us don't even live in the same place we did over you know, a year ago. There was a lot of transition, even in our small county. There's some of us that are now a part of our church family that relocated from other parts of the country during this last year. There's others out there that are joining us online now because you abandoned us and you moved away to places that are warm with palm trees and beaches, and you didn't invite any of us to go with you, which we're still a little bit upset about, enjoying that without us. So as uncertain as this last year has been for all of us individually, we have to admit, it's really not that different from any other year when we think about it. Because every year of our lives is uncertain. Every week is uncertain. Every day is uncertain. As much as we try to hold things together and maintain control, we're in control of so little. I mean, think back to a year in your life long before COVID where someone that you care about deeply got sick. You didn't plan on that happening. Where your job was eliminated or your position was removed or you got fired. You didn't expect that to happen. Where one of your kids went through something so hard, harder than you ever imagined. You never thought your family would go down that road. You didn't sign up for that. Go back to that year where maybe your spouse decided they didn't want to be married to you anymore. And your world began to crumble. You didn't anticipate that. Maybe that year where your mom or your dad or that family member you adored passed away and you had to transition to daily life now without that voice in your life. Life is inherently uncertain. There's times where it seems like everything that possibly could go wrong is going wrong. We've even develop, developed a, a statement for that, right? I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're just anticipating something else to go wrong, wondering, is it ever going to end? The uniqueness of 2020 is all of us were experiencing it together. Normally, it's your season of life. It's your family. It's, it's your dynamics. But it's not necessarily on a macro scale for everybody. This was just that time where all of us were experiencing uncertainty together, where we didn't know what was coming next, where we all felt out of control. We didn't know what to predict. But that isn't a feeling that's unique to 2020. In fact, difficulties in life, not knowing how things will play out, is something Jesus himself promised us would happen. Listen to this in John 16. Jesus says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Now what's interesting about this moment, where this text falls, is at the, at the end of what Jesus is doing in John 14 of 15 and most of 16. He's 
This, these are the last few hours before he'll be arrested and, and put on trial under the cover of darkness and crucified. And he's preparing the disciples what they need to know in these last few moments that's going to help them move forward through the darkest day of their life. They have no idea. He said it, but they don't really believe he's going to be crucified. They don't really believe he's going to die. They don't really believe he's going to leave. After all, it was just a few days ago in the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. People are waving palm branches. The God who wants to save his people is here. Hosanna. Glory in the highest. God is here. He's the Messiah, the Redeemer, the revolutionary that's going to overthrow the Romans. How is this the moment where you die? How is this the moment where you leave? All these people are just waiting for one word for the revolution to start. And at the end of all of this preparation, mere hours before Jesus would be arrested, he says, hey, you need to understand, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. What are you talking about? We've got the wind in our sails. Now's the moment. Now let's be honest. This is a promise of God we don't often like to think about or accept. I mean, we love the idea of Jesus being our Savior. We love the idea of the Holy Spirit being with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. We love the idea of God in our place, dying on the cross because we know what we deserve, and His blood paying the ransom for our sin. We we love God's blessing on us like a good father blesses his children. We love the idea of God inviting us to pray and that, that He hears our prayers and He answers them. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says maybe. Sometimes He says not yet. Sometimes He says no. Those are all answers to His prayer, but at least there's engagement with the God of this universe personal that we get access to because of his spirit and we come to worship on Sundays we tune in to a worship gathering on screen to reflect on God's goodness and be reminded of his grace but we don't like to think of this promise do we where Jesus says there's going to be moments where things are uncertain where you don't know what's happening next where you're going to have really big questions and I'm not going to answer them A promise about the fact that there are seasons where things don't go as we wish they did. So for the next few weeks, considering this promise Jesus made, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. We're going to examine the life God makes exclusively available to his redeemed children. So we don't have to face the trials alone. What are those those things, the gifts, the tools, the blessings God gives us to navigate the trials and sorrows. So we're not left to do it in our own strength. But on Pentecost Sunday of all days, when we have the Holy Spirit within us, He gives us this kind of access. As we believe in His life, death, and resurrection, His Spirit lives in us. And with His Spirit, God actually places within our grasp help or gifts that are designed to help us thrive even through the darkest storms of life. Even though we're experiencing things we wish never happened, that we wish never went that way. And not just so we can barely make it through, so we can grow throughout. I mean, if you could make a wish right now of something you wish you could change, what would it be? Online, feel free to type that in. Type that into the chat. Even if this is later in the week and you're catching up on Facebook, just add to the comments there below. Just, hey, this is something I wish I could change. Something I wish would happen. Feel free to type that in. Or or what would you think here in the room? Maybe for you it's a thing of, of health. Like you wish you could recover from something or overcome something that's plaguing you. Maybe, maybe it's a wish regarding money. You know, wishing for more money is, is not a bad thing. Money isn't inherently evil. It can give us more time. It can give us opportunities. It can help people. As God gives us resources that we can be a blessing, it, it maybe isn't the best wish, but it's not a bad wish. 
Maybe your wish is for more time. You just feel so maxed out right now. You wish you had more margin in life in this season. Maybe you would say, I have a, a time wish that's more supernatural in nature. I wish... I wish I could have more time with a loved one that's, that's passed. I wish I could hear their voice one more time. I wish I could have one more conversation. I'd really love their insight. I'd love to ask them their opinion. Maybe your wish is, is fame. You know, maybe you want to be a YouTube influencer. I don't know. Maybe you have a wish for a new job. Maybe you have a wish to move in with somebody that, moved to, to, that has palm trees right outside their window. And you're like, I just want to move in with them. Maybe you're somebody that's very rebellious of spirit and you just want to do what so many of us think about. I want to wish for more wishes. Well, that's cheating. You can't do that. You got to pick something specific. But today, knowing that Jesus assured us life would have uncertain times and we've experienced a lot of uncertainty that is not over yet, keep in mind that even when this pandemic is in our rearview mirror, and we feel like we've finally turned the corner once and for all, and five years after that, ten years after that, Life will still be uncertain. There'll still be things we can't predict that we don't know how they're going to play out. And there will still be a number of things we could wish for. But there's a gift. There's a help God makes available to us found only in relationship to his son, Jesus. And it's something I believe is behind that whole wish list we often come up with. Whether it's health or money or time or a new job or a spouse or healing in a relationship. No matter what it is, ultimately, behind that wish we write down, Whenever there's conflict or tension or heartache that we're trying to eliminate or solve, we're actually wishing for peace to come. And guess what? Jesus actually connected his provision to give us peace in the context of him promising this very thing in John 16, 33. I kind of cheated. I teased you. I, I shared one sentence. One sentence. But I'm going to share with you more. Let me share with you the whole verse, John 16, Here's what Jesus says. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, he gives us this promise of peace. At the same time, gives us a promise that, that we will have many trials and sorrows, but we don't have to lose heart. We don't have to lose faith because he's overcome the world. Now, it's interesting when you think of the word peace connected to Jesus. I mean, long before he arrives in Bethlehem, before he's born, part of the prophetic promise that, that God gives to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 is a verse that many of us might even have part of it memorized, right? In, in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, For unto you a Savior is born, unto you a child is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels first share about the birth of a new baby, that it's the, the Messiah, what do they say? The angels to the shepherd says, I bring you good news that will be a great joy for all people, because in the town of David, unto you a Savior is born, and he is Christ the Lord. And then a great host joined with those angels, and they began to sing, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth. When Jesus would talk to people and greet them, there's so many accounts in the Gospels where he would greet them by saying, peace be with you. When he would leave their presence, when something dramatic would happen like a miracle, oftentimes Jesus would say, go in peace. Then in John 16 and even in 14, we see the word peace come up in the language of Jesus again, saying that he's offering us a kind of peace uniquely connected to him, only available in him. Not a peace of this world, but a peace only found through Jesus to navigate the struggles of this world because he alone is the one that can overcome this world around us. Then when you jump into the time period of the church, the book of Acts and the letters that follow that, 
The word peace occurs in every single New Testament book except one, 1 John. But he talks about it in 2 John and 3 John, so he kind of covers that. But in every one of Paul's letters, the word peace comes up. In fact, oftentimes when he opens the letter, there's, there's two words he uses to open up his letter to those local churches. He says, grace and peace. Not grace and power, not grace and mercy, not grace and fame, but grace and peace be with you. And think about this. Many of those churches that would read that letter from Paul, they might read grace and peace be with you. And they would think, man, Paul, it doesn't feel very peaceful right now. I mean, there's somebody in our house church that was just, they have their own business. Nobody wants to do business with them because they're a Jesus follower. And they're having a hard time putting money on the table or putting food on the table for their family. There's, a, there's another family we know of that, that, that the dad was executed last week because he wouldn't recant his faith in Jesus. Another, another family, that they were all arrested. The kids were taken from them all because they wouldn't recant their faith. It's not very peaceful right now, Paul. And yet this peace Jesus speaks of is a peace the world wouldn't even understand. It's so much deeper and more complex. It's a peace from heaven, a divine peace only God can give. Because maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But you can get what you wish for. Doesn't mean you'll have peace. You can have all the money in the world in a bank account and no peace in your heart. You can be successful in every way from, from those looking on. You can have all the toys in the world, everything going in the right direction from the outside and be incredibly empty on the inside. You can be married and have no peace at home. You could be in a sea of people with lots of relationships and still feel incredibly lonely and not be at peace with yourself. You could have started a, the new, a new job last week, your dream job. But that wouldn't necessarily increase your peace. It might actually increase your stress because you want to do everything possible not to lose the dream job. In uncertain times, we're desperate for peace. But what so many of us experience daily is not peace. Normally, what we experience is the opposite. We're familiar with tension. We're familiar with fear. We're familiar with anxiety. When you think about relationships with your family, with your friends at work, what do you want? Well, you want peace with others. You want harmony. You want understanding and patience and joy. And so often, what do we get? The opposite. There's conflict and tension and disagreements and hurt feelings and misunderstandings and bitterness and unforgiveness. This idea of peace, a great idea. What does it mean? In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah was kind of tapped on the shoulder by God to carry messages to the people of God from their creator, from their savior, the one that rescued them from Egypt and gave them the promised land. The problem was Isaiah was living in a world very similar to ours today where people were very unsettled with how things were going. Unsettled about the present, there was division. Unsettled about the future because there were neighboring, uh, neighboring nations with militaries that, that were more powerful than that of Israel and they were being threatened. And there's a message God is presenting for Isaiah to share that paints a vision of a day in the future that will come where the people will be unbridled in their worship, where the people will be filled with passion and peace and praise for the goodness of God. A day like that of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrives and it is undeniable God is here. And in chapter 26 of the book of Isaiah, God had him say this to the people at that time. He wanted to point them to a future day that was coming and a promise that would be realized. And, and in so doing, God tells Isaiah, I want you to tell them the lyrics of a worship song one day that will be sung. In Isaiah 26, verse 1, he says this. Here's the lyrics to the song. Our city is strong. We don't know the melody. You can make it up yourself. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls. You know, make it up yourself. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. 
Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always. For the Lord God is the eternal rock. You see that phrase, two words, perfect peace? I don't know about you, I'm very familiar with imperfect peace. Very, I know a lot about temporary peace, fleeting peace. Where, you know, for a few moments in my mind, in my heart, like everything is good and I trust God is in control and I, I'm giving every, things over to him that I can't control and I, I trust him and I, I believe he can do it. And then all of a sudden, three minutes later, I'm a mess again. I'm worried, I'm insecure, I'm irritated, I'm tense and I'm trying to take it back. I'm like, what am I doing? Let God have it. And I go through that pattern. Maybe you don't. But I'm way more familiar with imperfect peace than I am perfect peace. And maybe that's because I myself am imperfect. So if you know about perfect peace, you must be perfect. If it's sustainable in your life. I would assume over the last year, many of us, our imperfect peace has shown itself in many ways. Because with what's happening in our world, all of us have probably can attest to the fact that we've been critical, we've complained, or we, we have suggested what we think presidents, governors, doctors, teachers, truck drivers, and churches should do in a pandemic, as if we've been there before. So I'm way more familiar with inconsistent peace or imperfect peace, where I constantly just want tension and frustrations to go away. And yet God promises something called perfect peace that can be present even when the stuff in this world Still seems out of control. So what is perfect peace? Well, the Hebrew word used here is a word probably many of us are familiar with, the word shalom. Shalom was used as a greeting or or a word of farewell from one Jew to another Jew throughout the ancient world. And it means so much more than just our silly, simple English language says. We, We translate the word shalom to be peace. And we typically define the word peace to be the absence of conflict. Shalom means so much more than that. Shalom means a wholeness a completeness, whatever it was that was broken has been restored, a fullness, a depth, and lasting peace that is sustainable and is separate. It's isolated from circumstances. Deeper than that, shalom is an awareness of God's goodness. It's an understanding cognitively of where we stand with our dad, of what we truly deserve, but his love for us that redeems us And that his view of us is unchanging. No matter what we do, he won't love us more. And no matter what we do, he won't love us less. It's an awareness, a peace that comes when we understand and live in the reality of how God sees us. That his grace is bigger than our shame and our sin. Shalom brings with it this idea of lasting deep peace with one another. That the walls of hostility have been broken down in Christ. Shalom brings with it the promise that we can be at peace with ourselves. That those things we regret, the struggles with sin that we've had and battled, the things that are remnants of the past that we sometimes carry forward and think define us now, that, that, that our own guilt and our knowledge of the things of what we deserve, we can now live in the promise of who we are in Christ. That our identity is defined by what Jesus has accomplished for us, not defined by our worst days. Shalom is a peace with our circumstances, that even though things are happening that we wish never had, shalom is full, complete peace from God over all the things happening in our lives we can't control anyway. And Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Think about it. God accepts responsibility. Isaiah says, you, God, will keep. He keeps 
in perfect peace. He has the response. He says, I'll take the responsibility to keep perfect peace in all who trust in him. So what that means is the moments where that perfect peace is fleeting and temporary, it's because our trust in him has faded. It's lapsed. We're starting to trust in something else. We're believing we can trust in something or someone else more than our trust in God. Therefore, when we do that, the peace begins to leak. And the fact that this peace is held together by the perfect one helps us understand what perfect peace looks like. It's not possible for us to maintain it. It's only held by the perfect one. It's a work that only God can do, and it's the byproduct of our trust in him. But this peace is not a promise about the external world, is it? It's a promise for the inner life, the inner journey of faith in God, a work that ultimately God's Spirit does, that that first arrived on Pentecost in the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it happens on the inside of us where nothing on the outside may change, no circumstance may change, no miracle could happen on the outside, and yet on the inside we're transformed. After all, Jesus said, you're going to have trials and struggles on the outside. You will suffer, but in Christ you can be at peace with God, with others, with yourself, and even with circumstances you wish were, dis- di- were different. And when that peace is present, it doesn't mean the disease is healed. When that peace is present, it doesn't come, and then your spouse moves back in and you get what you hoped for. That peace doesn't arrive, and now all of a sudden the kids don't fight in the backseat of the car anymore. It doesn't mean, ladies, that you know the peace doesn't come, then all of a sudden you're not irritated by your husband from time and time again, right? It doesn't mean your husband won't still get on your nerves on occasion, like, like when I get on my wife's nerves when I put way too many clothes in the washing machine, and then she's like, now we got to do them again because they didn't run right, you know? And, and I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. Hey, at least he tried to help, right? Like that. But I don't bring that up because I want to keep perfect peace at home with my wife. Um, who gave me permission to share this as an illustration today. So. But the promise of deep, lasting peace from God, it doesn't mean we'll escape difficult situations. The presence of peace doesn't negate Jesus saying, you have trials and sorrows. But it does help us realize that the perfect peace of God, it isn't found in the absence of problems. The perfect peace of God is found in the presence of God. He says, He says, he will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. Peace is God's presence. It's his perspective. It's his assurance, even when life is anything but what you want it to be. Now, for anybody listening right now, whether it's online or it's here in this room, you might in your mind be a little unsettled. Because this idea of perfect peace being available in God and circumstances not changing, you could, depending on the season of life in which you're in, you kind of be like, yeah, Federer, that sounds great, sounds awesome. But, but man, I just got to tell you, like, I don't know how I'm going to survive financially right now. Like, I want to believe that, but man, I'm just overwhelmed. Or you might say, Federer, you don't know this relationship is a mess, and I don't want to lose it, and I don't know where it's going, and I don't know who I am without this person. You might say, well, you know what, Fetter, it sounds great, but, but things at work are a nightmare, or, or there's something going on with my kid, and I don't know how to see my way out of it, and I'm so worried, I'm so afraid. Or you might say, yeah, that, that piece sounds great, but, but, but my physical body is a mess, and, and I don't know if this is my life now going forward, if this is normal. It's really discouraging. The peace of God sounds awesome, but maybe you're wondering, well, how, how can I find it in the midst of all that I'm experiencing because things just are not going in the right direction? Please, please, please don't miss what Isaiah mentions, these two principles. 
In chapter 26, he makes it clear that those who trust in God and those whose thoughts are fixed on God, the byproduct of that life is perfect peace. That's what we find in the pursuit of God. And and this exposes that the battle for peace, it doesn't happen on the outside. It happens in our minds every day, moment by moment. I mean, think about it. How often in our thoughts do we put our trust in our abilities, in what we can do, in our vision of the world, in our plans, in our ideas, and what we think is right? How often do we put our trust in the people in our lives, but we don't want to trust other people we don't know? How often do we put our trust in our boss or our employees or our company? How often do we put our trust in our industry, right? I mean, prior to 2020, you you would have thought the travel industry was, you know, across the globe. There's pockets where it might struggle. But, you know, if you're in the hotel business, the restaurant business, the the tourism business, like things are going to be okay. Things are going to turn around. It's like until, boom, a pandemic happens and nobody's going anywhere. Or you might think, you know, people always go to movies and buy popcorn in varying degrees, but it's worth billions of dollars until all of a sudden, boom, doors are locked. And gatherings are a concern. Or who would have thought that the toilet paper industry was going to struggle to produce enough for us, right? How many times have we put our trust in the industry we're in? They're always going to need me. I'll always have work. Or in manufacturing. How often do we put our trust in our own experience? What we can do, what we can build with our hands. Until materials are hard to find. How often do we put our trust in our own bank accounts? How often do we center our thoughts? How how often are we consumed with thinking about all the problems we're facing? Or we're consumed with how we don't have enough of this or enough of that or what we're lacking or what upsets us. We're just so angry all the time by the things that are upsetting to us. How often are our thoughts fixed on money? Maybe it's money problems. Maybe it's trying to engineer our money and our financial portfolio to do the best it possibly can do even through a difficult, uncertain time. How often are our thoughts centered on blaming other people for the problems we're facing? Or how often are we fixed on justifying our actions? How often do we have thoughts about how we've got everything figured out and the rest of the world is so messed up? How often are our thoughts influenced and consumed by what we see on Fox News or CNN or what we read on the the social media headlines, but we don't even read the detailed body of the text, we just make assumptions? The battle for peace begins in the mind. And here, 2,700, 3,000 years ago, God, through a simple man named Isaiah, tells us this clearly. The battle for peace starts in the inner life. And it's not trying to fix your mind on the things you want to change. It's not trying to put your trust in the things that are temporary. It's by trusting in me and fixing your thoughts on me. If you try to to get everything on the outside to go your way, even if you make it happen, I mean, even if you position your marriage, your relationships, your kids, your finances, your job, your career, your industry, your your future, if you get it all moving in the same direction together and it's perfect, how long is it going to last? If you have kids, you know you've got about three minutes till a six-year-old tips it over and breaks it, right? It's not sustainable. It's a, a, a worthless pursuit of our energy. But God promises perfect peace with him, with others, with ourselves and our circumstances as the byproduct of when we fix our mind on the truth of God and his word, when our heart is seeking his presence, when our thoughts are resting on God's unfailing promises. So then the question is in these two things, who or what are you trusting in? And who or what are your thoughts fixed on? 
Because when you're not here to worship gathering, when you're in your idle time, when you don't have to think about God, and you don't have to think about his presence, and you don't have to think about his promises, and I'm spoon-feeding you by putting scriptures up on the screen, and I'm challenging you to think about God, when you're not in this place or space, and you don't have to think about him, where does your mind just kind of naturally drift towards in thinking? Your mind's always going to think of something. It's always going to be going somewhere. You can't stop it. So what is your mind fixed on? If you're honest, you might say, well, you know what? I constantly think about money, having enough, providing. You might think about stress in your life. Like, I just feel like I'm running so fast and I got to get everything done. Or you might say, you know, it's political divisions. Like, I'm just, I feel like I'm constantly thinking about how divided our nation is and it makes me angry. Or you might constantly think about the long-term effect of the pandemic's impact. You might be someone who's kind of got a fatalist view on life. You're just like, I'm just constantly thinking about this could go wrong and this could go wrong and this person could die and this person could abandon me and, and, and this could happen and it would be terrible. What do you find your mind subconsciously drifting towards without having to think about anything else? Maybe in your downtime, you pull out your phone and you're constantly looking to buy things online. Maybe you're always wanting to eat or drink or smoke your feelings away because you just need to get space. From those thoughts. It's not going to solve anything. It's just going to perpetuate the problem. Maybe you're consumed with your appearance and what you look like. And it's just that you don't have to think about what you, what you look like. It's just constantly on your mind, your appearance. Maybe it's fears or anxieties or worries about being out of control. The, the bottom line is none of these things that I've mentioned can give us perfect peace. They only bring with them a perfect storm. Where our mind just constantly swirls. We get overwhelmed by the things we can't control, and all of a sudden, they, those things, those fears, they start to control us. Ever feel that way? Consumed with thoughts you don't want to be consumed with, and you wonder, how can I stop thinking this way? How can I change it? And so you try, and you try, and you try, and you feel it's hopeless. Well, the truth is, you can't stop thinking what, you, what your default thinking is. You can't stop it, but you can choose to start to replace those thoughts with better thoughts. The Apostle Paul would talk about this in one of the letters he wrote. Think on things that are lovely and beautiful and honorable. You can choose to replace what you think about. And over time, the old thoughts, they get overwhelmed with new thoughts. And when those thoughts are fixed on Jesus, he's my savior, he's with me. Whatever I face, he's there with me. He's walking through it with me. He's the lover of my soul. He sacrificed himself for me. I am chosen and redeemed. I'm now considered holy. I'm an heir of God's kingdom. When you begin to have those thoughts and you redirect your thinking in that way, your mind is fixed on God. You're attentive to what you know is true, even though in the moment you can't see where he's working. And the God of peace will be with you. His promises are true. His word never fails. When you reflect on the fact that when I'm confused, he's my guide. When I'm weak, he's my strength. When I'm hurting, he's my comforter. When you remind yourself that, that in him, he's overcome the world. We are more than conquerors with Christ Jesus who loves us. And his love changes everything. And because of that love, he gives us tools and help at our disposal to navigate life in uncertain times. I want to close with reading John 14. I think it's the best verse in the Bible speaking of peace. And it's Jesus as he begins that process of preparing his disciples for him to leave. Two chapters before what we started with in John 16. Here's what Jesus says. He's like, all this is going to happen. I'm going to go. It's a good thing that I go. But peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's not about a peace and circumstance on the outside. It's the inner life. He's like, don't let your heart, the inner life, be troubled. And don't let your heart, the inner life, be afraid. 
If you know Jesus, you know peace. The question is, are your thoughts fixed on him and is your trust in him more today than it was yesterday? If you move in that direction, this is one of the reasons why we talk so often from this stage about the value of reading God's word. Just a verse, just a sentence daily to reflect on throughout the day. What are you doing? You're influencing your thinking. You're replacing carnal thoughts with thoughts about the truth of God and who he is. If you know Jesus, you have access to peace. If you're not experiencing perfect peace, fix your thoughts on him more. Trust him more. And the byproduct of that will be peace. If you don't know Jesus, you don't yet have access to this peace. But you can through faith. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Accept his gift of salvation. And all the other gifts, not only peace, but so much more will he pour into your life because he takes us in our dead state and he brings us new life. And the gifts that come with that, far too many to even begin to measure or count. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you so much on on Pentecost Sunday, the gift of your spirit, that we have a restored relationship with you, a union with you, and a unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We collectively are your body, and you speak to us, and you lead us, and you direct our paths. You give us strength when we're weak. You bring us comfort when we're hurting. God, you're so good to us, and you make available to us perfect peace, only available because you are the perfect one. We can't produce that in us or anybody else. We can't sustain peace in our hearts for long at all in our strength. But when we fix our eyes on you, when we fix our thoughts on you, when we trust in you to greater and greater degrees, the byproduct of that is a peace with you, a peace with others, a peace with with ourselves, and even a peace in the midst of circumstances that seem far out of control. Thank you for your gifts, God. Be with us as we continue to probe them deeper in the weeks ahead. How extraordinary the life is you've given us to live because of Christ in uncertain times. We thank you for that. In your name, amen.